Well, it is good to be here the week after Easter, huh? Come on. And uh, don't know if you're still coming down off that candy high, but this week we're going to look at a moment following Easter that just when I first stumbled upon it had me going, what? See, it, it addresses something we all face and we're going to have to manage the tension of, and it's this thing called doubt. And it's actually kind of comforting to me to know that those who were closest to Jesus while he was on this earth before he rose, really when he rose from the grave and ascended to heaven, like those that were closest to him experienced doubt as well. Let's, let's read a passage to just make our minds go, hmm, right? And the disciples have just witnessed Jesus after he had resurrected, he shows up at their prayer meeting and challenges them to go to Galilee. And, and so it was this, this moment in Matthew 28, it starts in verse 16. It says this, Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them, uh, teaching these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I about switched translations in my head right there mid-reading. If you ever have done that before, that's kind of fun. Did you, did you, have you ever read that before? The reality that the disciples, the, so it's speaking of the 11 left, right? Judas, uh, who betrayed Jesus, has taken his life. There's 11 disciples left. And they're on their way obeying this word that Jesus has just challenged them with. Go to this mountain, I'll meet you there. And they're doubting. What are they doubting? Like, how are they doubting? And, and what does that mean for our life? And when we face doubts and we're trying to live life to the full, how is this working for us? They doubt it, it says. And it's a, it's a bit of a shocker, really, to think that some of these 11 disciples were in this state of doubt before they were given what's referred to as the Great Commission. This is the, like, you're going to go and change the world. And they were going, is this really... Okay, are we all imagining the same thing or is this really happening, right? They're in this moment. It's not the first time, though, that they've faced like this unbelievable moment that they're in. Uh, this, this is kind of a repeat pattern, if you will. And in reality, uh, these disciples were just exemplifying that they were 100% human. Like they're regular people. They were just... So happened to be those that were closest to Jesus, but they had the same realities in their heads we have in our heads. Is we question stuff, and we question us most of all, don't we? And we doubt ourselves, we doubt what we're experiencing, and we'll, we'll play head games with ourselves. And, and they were doing the same thing, and this, it, this whole reality and this whole series, Unbelievable, has been really focused on this key thing that, this word unbelievable does mean 
two things. To some, they just rest it. This is unbelievable. I'm going to live in my doubt. This is unbelievable. So I'm not going to believe it. And then to others, we press through to have an experience with God. We then can try to describe to people, it's unbelievable. But you're talking to some who just think it's unbelievable. It's a challenge. So what do we do with this tension? How do we work through this and live in this? Because there's life found in Jesus. And some of us have just experienced that for the first time. How do we grow on this and maybe press through our doubts? And that's our big idea today is each of us will face doubt in our lives. And that's normal. We need to not be discouraged by that. See, because before we follow Jesus, we very well can doubt the validity of Scripture, doubt the historical realities of Scripture. But actually, according to surveys and studies by like secular organizations, not not just Christian organizations that are trying to prove stuff, but like uh, research that's out there says, and it's a few years old, plus or, three, uh, plus or minus 3% accuracy, 64% of people believe in the resurrection, physical resurrection of Jesus from the dead. 64%. So that's the majority, right? If my math is correct. <laughs> well, this, this pastor is really smart. He knows it's 64%. A majority. This is a stunner. His brilliance is amazing. Let's get out Twitter. Let's start to tweet this stuff. Okay, never mind. Uh, yeah, no, just making fun of myself. 64%, though, think about this, believe in the resurrection. Then why do only 12% follow Jesus? What's with the gap? I think it's the doubt, right? Like, we live in this doubt, and we talk ourselves out of following Jesus. We, we go, yeah, sure, it happened, but no, there's still not, I'm still not quite 100% there. And we wait for the 100%. Then we make the decision to follow Jesus. Like we eventually get there. For one reason or another, we get there. And we become a part of this group that says, you know, I'm not going to let my doubts rob me of life to the full. I'm going to choose to follow Jesus and step in by faith. And all of a sudden our life begins to shift. And then we realize, man, if I'm just transparent that I made my way through doubt to faith and I share that with my friends, maybe that 52% drop off will follow the lead, right? And then even more so, maybe the other percent, right? You've got 36% that's just on the outside of that 64. How can we model for them genuine human fault, doubt, and the wrestle with belief so that they as well can be inspired to pursue Jesus? That's the challenge at hand. If we can learn how to deal with our doubt, there is a massive group of people who could experience Jesus through our example. Because we too, like the disciples, are just completely human. And we're going to deal with some issues. And I think one of the passages in Scripture that really illustrates this beautifully, we referred to some of it last week on Easter Sunday, is Matthew 14, 22-33. And it's this moment when the disciples have just been doing a bunch of ministry, And they're sent out in a boat by Jesus. 
and he comes to them on the water. We'll read the whole thing, though, because I, I don't want to miss all the details here. It says, Jesus insists, Matthew 14, 22, Jesus insists that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake. And while he sent the people home, while he sent the people home, my, my bad, there we go, verse 23, after sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. And meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. Stormy water, right? He's walking out to them on the stormy water. And it says, when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. Yeah, I would be. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. So again, just as last week, it's this moment where they don't recognize him until they hear his voice. And then they're like, wait. He doesn't say, it's Jesus. He just says, take courage, I am here. And it's like, Peter then, here we go, verse 28, called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter was like, shoot. No, he didn't say that. Peter went over the side of the boat, walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? Why did you doubt me? And when they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. If you've been around for a while, you've heard me hit on this passage before. Because I think there's so many good illustrations in this. But... One of my favorite quotes by an evangelist who would speak at camps and stuff, he would read this passage and he'd say, man, I'd rather be a wet water walker than a dry boat talker. And it's like, good pastor quote, good evangelist quote right there, right? You're just like, this is, this is good stuff. And, and, and we keep this imagery of, of Peter is the one that had the courage ultimately to jump over and get into the water at least. And all these other guys were in the boat, safe, secure. They didn't take that faith risk. So although Peter was outside of the boat doubting, he at least was the only worshiper in that boat wet because he tried something. He like stepped out in faith. And might I propose that it was not Peter's bold faith in walking on the water that caused them to worship Jesus. Might I propose it was the fact that Jesus reached out and saved Peter and brought him into the boat and the storm calmed. It was like that whole scene that made them go, okay, this is Jesus. This is the Son of God. I mean, Peter exemplifies humanity in its fullest because he got out and he's got to be just experiencing this euphoric moment on the water and but he sees storms. He sees just, I'm going to get taken out by a wave. 
and it takes his focus off Jesus, and he starts to sink. How can you fault the guy for that? Jesus teaches in the moment, but it wasn't his teaching. It was all that happened that made these disciples go, this is Jesus. We're going to worship him. And we have this same reality of Peter. Life comes at us, and we're just like, (gasps) and the cool thing is I think Jesus reaches down to us the same as he did Peter, and he transforms our life. And that's what we want to look at. Three thoughts today dealing with doubt and life that I think are going to empower you for the future here. First thought, we should be honest with our doubts. We should be honest. We shouldn't try to fake our way through this thing, right? Jesus didn't let Peter drown that day. Jesus reached out through Peter's doubt, right, and grabbed a hold of Peter. He immediately reached out and grabbed him. It wasn't Peter that saved himself. He didn't swim back to the boat and climb on board. Jesus rescues us when we're sinking. When we're in our doubt, he's reaching to us. That's comforting to me. Because we live this reality of our faith swings and and we have seasons where we're strong in our relationship with Jesus and then seasons when we're like, we feel like we're just not as close as we want to be and and it's this pendulum that could swing and and man, if if I hide my doubt, nobody will know what I'm going through but the reality is, if we hide our doubt, we're just kind of this robot Christian, fake happy smile, not genuine And it's not really that moving or real to people. You just scratch your head and go, I'm not sure this is real. You probably know some who have lived out their faith like that. And you're just going, there's junk going on and and there's stuff going on in their world. And I just don't, I just don't get it with them. But then you have these others who, man, if you swing the pendulum over here and you're, you're too focused on your doubts it's like they could just be too aggressively focused on doubt and you think do I really even need Jesus at all because they're just living in the the weakness right just living in the sorrow living in the woe is me and again it's like what is going on there with them right they're promote almost promoting to live in unbelief versus living in hyper belief and so you have these swings of our faith. What's right here in the middle? What's this balanced thing, right? Because even, this is where if we take this balanced approach, we could be honest with our doubts and not fake that we don't have any. And yet, we're not so super belief that we're like the judge of anybody who's experiencing doubt. I think this This balanced space is where God wants us to walk in. And in Mark 9, we see an example of this. A father has a son that has been tormented from birth by demonic spirits. And he decides that he's going to uh, bring his son to Jesus because he's heard that Jesus has been delivering people from evil spirits And so he shows up on the scene, and the disciples are there. Jesus is off and not with the disciples. And they attempt to free the boy from the demonic spirits. And it doesn't 
work. He says that often his boy is thrown into the fire, literally like these spirits are trying to take his child's life. And so he's just broken for his child as any of us would be. Spent, exhausted, and Jesus shows up. And he goes to Jesus and he's like, I've heard that you can free you know, people. And he goes, if you can, are the words he says to Jesus, if you can heal my boy, would you? And Jesus says to him, a classic passage of scripture, all things are possible with me. And then, this is the passage I want to hone in on. Mark 9, 24, the father instantly cried out, I do believe, because he says, if you believe, all things are possible to those who ask, right? And he says, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. So the father's not turned away by the instruction of Jesus that you have to believe for this miracle. Instead, he asks Jesus... Would you help me out here? Because I'm not 100% there yet. Help me with my unbelief. That's a game changer. That is a game changer right there. Because he's not paralyzed by his doubt. He lays his doubt at Jesus' feet. He says, I need you to impact my doubt. And it should challenge us today... That we should look at our own tension of unbelief and doubt and realize, wait, I could bring this to Jesus. Not hide it, just be genuine with it. Real about it. And say, I am at 92%, but there's this 8% God, I just need you there. Because I'm not able to get past 92. Well, is that okay? It's actually absolutely okay. Our thought, second thought is the Holy Spirit fills the gap between faith and unbelief. The Holy Spirit fills this gap between faith and unbelief. See, this is the hand of God reaching down and pulling Peter out of the water, if you will. God understands the gap. And that's why we are given the power of the Holy Spirit to fill that space beyond our own faith and strength and belief. Beyond our confidence. The doubt space, if you could. Jesus healed the father's boy, casting out a legion of demons. And his faith, Jesus' faith, filled the gap between that father's belief and 100% faith. The, gap, the doubt space, if you would. And we read passages like Romans 28, 26 that says... The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. Spirit comes right in there in our weakness. Makes up the space that we just don't have the strength to find. When we find ourselves lacking confidence and faith, we can put our confidence in the Holy Spirit. Where we are weak, 
He is strong. And we can unlock the power of what dependence on God and his Holy Spirit. I remember a moment where I was in a hospital, called to a hospital with the pastoral staff or might have been the whole pastoral staff at a church I worked at. And I show up and it's, it's myself and the lead pastor praying for someone who's ha- having an incredible bad bout with lupus. And uh, they're in the process, and I'm totally medically unfamiliar with what it's called and everything, but they're cleaning the blood. It's like the blood is coming out of this person into a machine and going back in the person. It's like intense looking, and the doctors are saying it's getting worse and worse and worse. In fact, there's nothing more we can do. It looks like the end. And it had been days and days and days. And, and the family's gathered in the lobby, and they're praying, and and we take one last moment of going into the, the intensive care and, and praying for her. And I remember the pastor and myself laying hands on just the feet, the cold feet of this gal on the bed. And we we're watching these numbers go down. And the doctor explained these are way below what's rescuable. This is the end. Uh, we need to prepare the family. And we said, can we pray once more? And... Our hands are on these cold feet praying and the numbers stop going down. And we're just like, keep praying, right? And we're praying and we're praying like it depends on us, but knowing it all depends on God here. And we're praying and we watch these numbers just go up. And we're like, this is a miracle. We're, we're watching a miracle happen on a screen here. And we continue to glorify God and worship him and pray. And the numbers keep going up. And the pastor says, I'm going to go tell the family that things are turning around. They should pray fervently. And I'm left alone with my hands on these cold feet. And I'm going. Doubt, like, takes a whack right inside my head. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, well, maybe is my faith alone strong enough to make a difference on this deathbed right here? Like, knowing it has nothing to do with me, what God is up to on this bed. But I just continued to pray because I knew I I can only do so much with what uh, faith I have. God, help this family, help this child of yours and the numbers continued to go up and I'll never forget when Annalise woke up that day and said could I have some ice I'm thirsty and just scared the bejeebers out of us right and you're just going to me when I think of a moment where I just did not have the faith to see Annalise rise from this bed nor did any of the medical staff. They all, I'll never forget a moment like this where all the medical nurses, the doctors are like, this is impossible. You don't understand. This is a medical miracle. And so they called her the miracle girl. And she's just, she didn't care. She just wanted ice. I'm <laughs> thirsty. And, uh, and you just go, shocker. Just in moments, all that happened. It seemed like an eternity. And to me, that's the power of the Holy Spirit going way beyond where our faith can reach. And I think sometimes we think, oh, I have to be a giant of the faith to ever see God do anything through me. 
I have to be like a, a traveling evangelist to ever see a friend of mine make a decision to follow Jesus. Man, I have to be this, or I have to be in this place, or I have to be you know, a Christian for 20 years before I ever share my story. No, 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 no. Right in the middle of your weakness, that's the most beautiful moment. That's a beautiful moment for your faith to just shine like crazy. Thought three, when we press through doubt, our faith increases. Man, when those blood counts were going up and the pastor left and I was in this scenario that was unbelievable, literally like I couldn't believe it was happening and and it was unbelievable all the same time. I just, all I could do was press on. That's all I knew to do. It's like, not, and I didn't all of a sudden have magic words to pray. I just, I just prayed to the God who heals people in the name of Jesus. And transformation occurred. And I just kept pressing through. But I guarantee, after that, I don't pray for the, I don't pray the same. I don't give up as early. It shaked me. It increased my faith. And scripture tells us in Philippians 3.12, not that I have obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on. The writer says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. There's something about pressing on. Pressing through. That produces faith. This is what we mean when we say there's this tension between belief and unbelief that can actually be very life-giving, if you would. It's this, it's this tension that produces like faith muscle. It's like working out. And if we, we, we don't pray that the tension goes away, we pray that we can grow from it and that we manage this tension and don't lead us, it doesn't lead us to giving up. Again, Peter was the only disciple worshiping in that boat as one who pressed through a moment. Like, they were worshiping Jesus because they saw what just happened. Peter was worshiping Jesus because he got him through a faith moment where he stepped out on water and sunk. And, and I'd love to see the imagery. It says they climbed back in the boat. What did that whole scenario, how clunky was that rescue? You know, it's not easy to save someone from the water. I just want to go there someday and see the, the real movie, Right? And just watch that moment happen. But what's the pushback? Like why, why don't we just accept doubt then? Why don't we just live in doubt? Again, this pendulum. Well, there's passages that make us think. So let me make you think. Because this is where I would bang my head against a brick wall every once in a while. In the faith. Mark eleven twenty two 22 says... Jesus said to his disciples, have faith in God. I tell you the truth. 
you can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it'll happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you, you can pray for anything, and if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. So passages like that make us judge ourselves brutally when we're faced with doubt, don't they? Like we see that and we just go, I can't have any doubt in my heart. And I'm the only one left in this room praying and I have doubt in my heart. Help me, God, right? James 1 puts it this way. When you ask, or when he asks, he must believe and not doubt because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. The man should not think he'll receive anything from the Lord. So that's why there's a tension. That's why doubt is a place of tension and not just a place of embrace. Because we know the target is no doubt. So what do we do with that? Well, we live in thought one and two. We're genuine with our doubt and we lay our doubt at Jesus' feet at the cross and say, I can't do this in my own strength. I need to be at 100%, and I'm only going to get to 100% with your mercy and grace, God. I can't do it on my own. And there's something he honors about that and loves about that and some beautiful breakthrough that happens in our submission, surrender, and crying out to him. And that's what changes the world around us. When they see us just be authentic and genuine with our own humanity, but yet unwavering in our faith. In our faith to know that God is going to do something incredible. Our action point today is this. Let God build your faith where you have doubt. Let God build your faith where you have doubt. Don't live at 92% forever. Allow him to take you on a journey to get to no doubt. Increase that to 93, 94, 95, 100. It can happen in whichever scenario you're facing. Jude 21 says this, and 22. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Well, that's a challenge. Because I think sometimes, maybe we have been treated unmercifully when we've expressed our doubt before. I don't know if that's happened to you, but where you express your doubt and you're like, man, I just don't know. Well, brother, if you don't have faith to get there, and it's like, we're not put on this planet to be the righteous judge of those who are experiencing doubt. That's not why we're put here. We're put here to be merciful to those that are around us. The same as Jesus came, not to condemn, but to save. And so we got to check our spirit if we're feeling judgy when someone's experiencing doubt. We need to help them look to God to fill the gap, right? That's what we're modeling. God wants us to pursue 100%, but understands 
the enemy is constantly trying to kill it, or you wouldn't have given us John 10.10, which says the enemy wants to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. God wants your life to be as full as it's ever been, and so he's going to fill the gap of your doubt. And that's what I want to pray over you today. I want to pray that God would increase our faith and remove doubt, that he would help us in our unbelief. And I want to, I want to pray that we could just lay our doubt space at his feet. I think those are a couple things that will help us move from unbelief to unbelievable today. So God, I thank you for your word. And I thank you that you give us everything in the text of Scripture and that the disciples even demonstrated their humanity so that we could relate and understand that doubt is a reality we're going to face and attention will manage. Even in scenarios where it seems like 100% belief is the only option for breakthrough. And God, in those moments, I pray you'll give us relief. You'll give us that 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 belief we need through the power of the Holy Spirit. You'll fill the gap. God, I pray you'll increase our faith. I pray that you'll help us pursue you. Maybe some in this room are right at that gap where they're like, I need to put my belief in Jesus initially because I need to move from doubting faith to saying, yes, I'll follow Jesus. Going from the 64% to the 12 God, so many of us in so many different circumstances right now when it comes to doubt. And I just pray for an elevation of belief in this room. And that, Lord, yet we'll be genuine where we're at with those around us. And that people will relate to our weakness and be inspired to pursue faith themselves. May we be an example of authentic faith in the world we live in. And I thank you for what you're stirring in and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Worship team's gonna sing as you let this message sink in and your response to it.